Hello and welcome to the Data Cloud Podcast. Today's episode features an interview with Jed Clevenger, VP of Growth and Analytics at Indeed. In this episode, Jed shares with us how he bridges the gap between business and technology, how cross-functional teams can and should work together, and the way Indeed is partnering with companies like Hulu and Disney for secure data sharing through the use of clean room technology. So please enjoy this interview between Jed Clevenger and your host, Steve Hamm. Dive deep into the world of apps and generative AI at Snowflake Build 2023. This December, developers, data scientists, engineers, and startups will have access to exclusive sessions focused on building apps, data pipelines, and machine learning workflows in the age of generative AI and LLMs. Discover how to use the latest Snowflake innovations through product deep dives, demos, and hands-on labs. Learn more and register for a build event in your region at snowflake.com slash build. Jed, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here. Thank you, Steve, for the invitation. Really thrilled to talk to the Data Cloud podcast audience today. Thanks, thanks again for having me. Great, 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 great. So most of our listeners know Indeed as the largest digital job board, but it would be helpful if you would describe the company's business and its business model and explain the role of data analytics in supporting the business. Sure. Let me just start off by saying the Indeed's mission. Our mission is to help people sure. get jobs. As part of that mission, we are making hiring simpler, easier, and faster for both the job seekers and for employers. Right. While we started as a job board, we're continuing to evolve the business to become the world's largest and best hiring platform. Okay. So this year, we have a big focus on matching, our matching technology, and connecting the right people to the right jobs. Mm -hmm. For the business model, I'll answer it like this. We have five core values, job seeker first, pay for performance, data-driven, innovation, and inclusion and belonging. So data is baked into everything we do. It always has been. And the business model really is the, a key focus on the job seeker and the job seeker experience. So job seekers come first in every decision we make. The platform, the core platform has always been free for job seekers. And the way we make money is when businesses come and list and promote and sponsor job listings on the platform. Yeah. We, of course, want to align incentives across job seeker and employers and us as a platform. So more and more, you're going to see some things, an evolution of how we do business to align incentives across those groups coming up in the next year. Now, we've got a, a strange economy out there. Some people say it's great, other people not so great. But so uncertainty is not the friend of business typically. And, and I think for, for your business in particular, that, that stands true. So how does data analytics help the company deal with this kind of uncertainty we're seeing today? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I'll start off by talking about our scale. Indeed sees 350 million unique visitors every month to the sites or properties. We also help nearly three and a half million businesses find and attract candidates each month. Indeed operates in eight languages in more than 60 countries. And someone gets a job on Indeed every three seconds. So we're talking about big scale. And at that scale, we can mirror a lot of the macroeconomic trends. We have data that are very telling, as you mentioned, on the trends of the macroeconomic environment. So we really think about data in two ways. One, what are the trends of the economic environment and the hiring environment and what to do about that? And then two, we think about data, of course, internally about how it can help us run our business. Right, sure. 
So on the first one, on the trends, Indeed has a rich data source that can be helpful in interpreting the overall labor market and specific trends within that market. We have data analysis and insights that we share with our advertisers and folks on the platform. And we have our own economic research team called the Indeed Hiring Lab, which analyzes macroeconomic trends, labor markets, and, and writes position pieces and shares those widely, either free or with our clients that, that are very valuable on, on analyzing the trends. Mm-hmm. Of course, a, a downturn in the economy is nothing new. We've seen these time and time again. But with the longevity of the company over 17 years, we've seen a couple of these waves of growth and retraction. So we have some unique insights into where that where it goes from here. So we can learn more about that at the Indeed Hiring Lab. Yeah, yeah. Now, most of the people we interview on the podcast are technology leaders. Your career has been focused on business and marketing. So help us understand your role now. It seems like it's kind of a blend of kind of the business side and the technology side. Yeah, that's exactly right. So my role is I run growth marketing and marketing analytics at Indeed. It's a fantastic role for me because I really feel like it's built on all the experiences of my career to date. And what is growth marketing? In growth marketing, we primarily use scale channels to reach and engage users around the world to drive the actions that we care about. The most fun part about my job, or one of the most fun parts about my job, is that I get folks, or I have folks on the team that are dedicated to the job seeker side of the business, and then I've got folks that are dedicated to the employer side of the business. So we have growth marketers on both B2C and B2B sides of the house. And then we also have folks that are thinking about how to match that up. Where is the inventory on the site? Where do we need inventory? Where do we need listings? What are the job seeker behaviors? And that's really what the marketing analytics team is doing. So it's a lot of fun to be able to work across the entire scope of the business. And then another great part for me is as growth marketers, it really gives you an open door to go work with the rest of the company. So we are partnering with sales product, engineering, support, and service on what is the user behavior on the site and what do we want to do or how do we want to partner together to drive more of the activities that we want to drive. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's a great blend of strategy, analytics, operations, marketing, and creative. It's a lot of fun for me. Yeah, yeah. You have your fingers in a lot of things. Now, you, I think you mentioned something, scale channels. What, that's a term of art of some kind, but I don't know what it is. What, what gotcha. does that mean? Yeah, so scale channels are things that we can reach people at scale. It is, um, they can be free channels or they can be paid channels. In growth marketing, we we work on both. And some of the uh, big scale channels that we work on, of course, are SEM, SEO, display advertising, retargeting. But we get into some offline media, connected TV, connected radio. And then we get into some offline channels too, like direct mail. Direct mail is one of our most effective channels, surprisingly, for businesses to acquire new businesses and small businesses on the platform. Do you mean direct email or direct paper mail? Paper mail, like physical oh pa- paper mail. Wow. wow. <laughs> that is just amazing. Because you think Isn't of a pro we think of a platform like yours is like totally digital, yet you still have that finger because it's important, because it's valuable. Oh, that's really that's really cool. That's right. Yeah. As growth marketing, we will test a lot of channels and we'll learn a lot. And as long as you know some percentage of them hit, it's okay to continue to test new channels. So we put our budgets on the things that are working and then we carve out some budget to always be testing new, new channels. And so yeah. when you yeah. find something that works, you start to pour more fuel on the fire. And so we always make a lot of small bets out in the market to understand technologies, targeting, reach, 
an engagement across channels. And when we find something that works, we, we spend more time with it. And if it's not working for us or driving the metrics that we want it to, then of course we pull back and stop investing in it. That is really interesting. You know, there's a, you may or may not be aware of something called like complexity theory. Mm. In complexity theory, when you don't really understand what's going on in the world, like when when COVID first came, the 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 organizations or you know institutions that did best were the ones that were kind of like nimble on their feet, just tried something. If it didn't work, try something else really quickly. And it sounds like that's basically the way you guys operate. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I said, a majority of our budget is dedicated to the things that we know or that are working today. And then you always want to carve out, you know, different marketers have different percentage goals on this, but it can be 5%, 10%, up to 20 or 30% of your budget to invest in and testing new channels or new activations. Like I think about it like a fishing trip. You have many yeah. lines in the water, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and just see which one's going to bite. That makes a lot of sense. Now, before going to Indeed, you worked for Meta and several other companies in marketing roles. How did those experiences help prepare you for the challenges you're facing today? Yeah, that's a great question. I started off in management consulting. And there, I'm sure you're familiar with the model. We, we have a new client, a new challenge every three to six months where you're ramping, learning, understanding, and then recommending. So that really taught me how to ramp and understand and troubleshoot really quickly. That was early on in my, my career. Then I moved out to the Bay Area in 2000 and took a job as a business strategist at Sapient, which is a technology consulting firm and integrator. So I was building a lot of dot-coms at the time until the first dot-com wave had its crash. And I ended up at eBay. And I really say that I grew up at eBay uh, professionally. Right. I was right. in the category management team for a long time. And then I jumped over and was on the internet marketing team for five years there. And on the internet marketing team, I was running the SEM team, but sitting adjacent to SEO, affiliates, and all sorts of other scale types of channels that we were discussing before. And that's where I really built or, or, or developed a passion for this type of work because it's creative in its, in its thinking, but it's also driven by math and logic and reason. Mm -hmm. And so it, it just made a lot of sense to me coming from a marketing world. I happen to be really good at math growing up. And so if I can drive some creativity, but it's driven by insights and reason and logic, that was just where I really got really excited about my career. And so I, I, I knew that I had found a home in, in internet marketing or scaled marketing and, and growth marketing, really. And so I had a great run there, had nothing but, but good things to say about the people and the company and my time there. After eight years, I did leave and started a company too. So I co-founded a company called Yard Seller that was an e-commerce, social e-commerce marketplace. And that was an entirely different experience, sitting around a table at a, at a coffee shop, getting things started, raising money, scaling it. And so we had uh, you know, run that for about three and a half years. And I learned a ton about how to run a business, how to run a team. I was VP of marketing and COO there. So I pretty much had the, the, the entire scope of the business right. there, though it was small, but it was a really great learning experience for me. That went really well for three and a half years until it didn't go so well. And we had to shut yeah. that business down. Typical Silicon Valley story. My wife told me it was time to go get a real job again. And I ended up at Meta. And so oh, okay. I was Very at Meta good. for nine years, always in the business marketing and B2B side of the house to try to grow and scale that side of the business. Yeah. And really my time at Meta taught me about scale, right? How, how do we do big things at big scale and how to invest and prioritize your time and resources to be effective? So we had a goal to connect every business across the world to some of our platforms or one of our platforms. 
And so if you're talking about connecting every business in the world, that's, that's really big scale. The other thing that I learned at Meta was about signals and looking at signals, reading signals and understanding them to leverage them into your activations, your go-to-market strategy, your channel strategy, and really understanding what are the signals are the things that are working. And again, investing more in those types of things. We touched on it, I think, a little bit before, but if you could, kind of at the highest level, explain how data analytics has changed marketing, and in particular, recruiting and hiring for all the players involved. Yeah, I would say for me, the data has always been there. Like I said, I came out to Silicon Valley in 2000, right? So I've been here working on internet businesses for a long time, for over 20 years. So for me, it's always been data-driven. I wouldn't say that's the case for all businesses, but for me, it has been. What I will say that what has changed is how we collect information, access information, and leverage it for customer segmentation, understanding, like I said, customer signals, and how it informs our go-to-market strategy and our creative and how we we report out on the impact of that. That's really what's evolved. So the data's always been there, but how we access and leverage that data has changed a lot over the last 20 years. Specifically for this business, for Indeed, we use data to help people get jobs and help people get hired. So what does that mean? We are understanding which industries people are listing jobs in, what the job specs are, if there are unique skills or degrees or certifications that are needed for those jobs, and then trying to match up the job seekers on our platform to the right jobs there. So it's really underlying data that is giving us signals where we can help get more people into more jobs more quickly. Yeah. Interesting. When when I think about you, you say you got the Silicon Valley in 2000, you know, there was this huge shift. I mean, before that, it really wasn't, marketing really wasn't that data-driven. I mean, I think, I'm trying to remember, was it John Wanamaker who said, half of advertising is wasted, we just don't know which half. That's right. So it was was really this instinct and kind of experience-driven business. But really, for the past 25 years, it's been a data-driven. Business, That's right. right. From my perspective, and, and, and granted, I, I know I live in, in the bubble I, and I've got a unique perspective here. I've grown up in data-driven and online businesses for 20, 25 years at this stage. And, you know, I, I think it's exactly right that a lot of brick and mortars didn't have that start and are now trying to transition. And it's a really tough transition, right? Yeah. If you have a, a different marketing style, different attribution, everything that we do online is trackable and traceable, Right. And so I think that some of the companies, there's a lot of work to do to bring a a company that might be a more traditional brick and mortar into the internet age. I feel that I find that I I just consider myself very fortunate that I grew up in in this environment and have done this for for 23 years this way. So when and why did Indeed develop a relationship with Snowflake and the data cloud? About four years ago, we wanted to retire a legacy PostgreSQL database that had limits on both speed and storage. And so there were a number of technologies that were evaluated by the team and folks on the team saw Snowflake as very promising. The perceived benefits of it included speed, ease of access, scalability, and really that interoperability across platforms, which was really interesting to folks at the time. And the team also said it couldn't easily be broken. So they were really pleased going through that process. And we started working with Snowflake at that point in time. And this was just coincidentally, before we had, we also RFP'd and put out a a process to migrate to AWS in September of 2020. So we actually started talking to Snowflake before that, and then it's it's public information that's been stated out there, is that we migrated to AWS. 
in September 2020, and then uh, obviously leveraging Snowflake on top of that. Yeah. One, of, one of the features that Snowflake was really attractive for was around this interoperability across platforms. I think right, everybody right. knows there's a there's a spaghetti of, of data, data systems, and something to sit on top to help us bring it all together into one database was really attractive. So are you just on AWS or are you on the other clouds as well? We are on primarily on AWS, but also leverage other clouds for gotcha. various reasons. Gotcha. So I understand kind of the big, broad picture of what were the attributes of Snowflake that, that, that made you want to use it. But in particular, are there any use cases that you want to call out that have been really successful? Yeah, we primarily use Snowflake in two ways. One is analytics and reporting for the team. That's really our, our biggest use case is, is most of our BI teams internally use Snowflake for all of the storing and accessing of data, running analytics and reports and visualizations of that, and then working and managing their stakeholders through those reports, right? So that's use case number one. That's a majority of our time. But then I think probably for, for the, the case of this, this podcast and this audience, the more interesting part is secure data sharing. Right? And that's where the clean room technology starts to come into play. So I'll just say that, that first and foremost, privacy is utmost important to us. It always has been. It should be for everybody. And I think you know, or we all know that user data is valuable. And if that trust is broken, you lose brand preference, you lose trust with your, your user base. And so everything that we do has to be in a secure environment, a privacy first way. And we need to be confident in the partners that we're working with. And so Snowflake helps us get there. And we have really increased our, our data sharing with a few partners, one that we'll, that we'll start to talk through here. I know there's, it was published publicly a couple months back in some of the work that we're doing with Disney on clean rooms. Okay. And so yeah. we utilize Snowflake in addition with Hulu to do some clean room work where we are able to better target and extend reach and understand frequency and target in interesting ways the impact and the effectiveness of our marketing. So take us into that, the relationship with, with Disney. You know, what did you start doing with Hulu? I wasn't on the team at the time the relationship kicked up. This is, this is going back a couple of years ago. But our analytics labs team has been looking at clean room and clean room technology for some time. They were working with a different partner at the time and trying to spin up clean rooms. The reason that this is important is that everyone is prepping for, or all marketers are prepping for a cookie-less world where we can't track a lot of the things that we've been tracking historically. For a long time, there's tagging and tracking from Google yes. that allowed us to identify sessions and the users and user data and activities associated with that session yeah. that we optimized all of our marketing on. Right. And Apple did work to, to start to obscure some of that data last in the last couple of years, right? They are asking now when you download an app, do you want to track this data or let me track this data? So you see that on your app usage all the time. And sure. I think because of the privacy concerns that we all have about what is shared online and what people are doing with that information, there's just a trend in the industry to go away from that cookie, which is basically a tag or tracking that can slow down a website. So uh, we are migrating over the, probably the next couple of years here into a world where we just don't have the signals where we're able to target users and understand their activities the way that we used to. So we needed to find a new way to find users in a privacy safe and privacy compliant way to that will help us, one, understand the impact of our marketing, 
but two, let us do it in a, in a privacy secure way. So we, all of the data, and this is why we're using partners like Hulu and Disney, we all have first party data. We put it into a third party where neither of us can see the data and they match it based on some attributes, right? So you can still target. If I have a, a list of, of say email, emails uh, that, that are on our site that are active, we can send it to the third party and the third party looks at the data and potentially matches on something like an email or a different key or an anonymous key into the Disney user base. And then they can target on that same key, the folks that are in their services. So we're able to reach the same audience or a similar audience that we would want to anyway, but we don't have any insight into that, who that person is or, or any of the demographic information. But the third party, when we work together in the third party, we, we can do it together. So it's anonymous targeting. Really. It's anonymous targeting. That, that's, that's fantastic. Right. I'm glad that Apple did that. Even though I personally figure I don't have any privacy in the world, I think some people want to have privacy, and I'm glad they have that choice. Yes. You know? I'm glad we have advertiser choice, too. I understand that the way you've been going at this with Hulu and, and with the clean rooms is you're running a bunch of experiments, just like we talked about before, before, just kind of see what works. Talk to us, you know, what have you tried and, and what, what seems to be working best? So our most public experiment was with Hulu. It was highlighted in, in an Adweek article recently. You can find that article online, I'm sure. And we really ran two experiments there. We ran one campaign to a brand audience. You know, it was a brand focused ad to a Disney first party audience. And then we also ran a growth campaign using ad creative that was more action driven. So it was a growth campaign that was looking to drive action and leveraging a lookalike audience through the Disney audiences. Okay. So the brand campaign was more job seeker focused and a growth campaign was more employer focused. However, when you run both campaigns, the beauty of one of these clean rooms and the matching technology they have, and we also set up through this holdout group where you can match a like group of users on that key we were talking about and right. serve them no ad or suppress ads so that they don't see any advertising from us. And that's really how you get the lift. Ultimately, we're all going to be have, have to be using first-party data to set up our ads. Correct. We are delivering to Hulu a list of, of user IDs, and they are using matching technology to look for similar types of folks on Disney. And once you have a, an identified group, then you also need a holdout group to understand if your ads are working or not. It's like There's, a clinical trial in, in medicine. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. It is like a clinical trial. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And of course, the, the marketing analytics lab team did all the work in conjunction with Hulu and Disney and our own data science teams internally. You need to have a big enough group to get a signal, to get a read on it. Right. Right. And so one group, yeah, you're suppressing the ads so they don't see anything from us. Then the other group, you can measure the lift on it. Okay. So anyway, we had two experiments running. We had a brand campaign on the job seeker side. We had a growth campaign on the employer side. And then since you're doing it through one partner, uh, you can actually uh, experience and record the halo or, or the spillover effect of each campaigns. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, when you're targeting folks, they're sitting in front of their TV or their device. And I may be an individual, but I also happen to run a business or work sure. at a business. Sure. Might be in recruiting or hiring. You do pick up some folks that aren't your intended audience when you're doing marketing. So with this technology and clean rooms from Disney and Hulu, we were able to understand the spillover effects. So anyway, these, these campaigns were seen as, as really effective. We don't talk about absolute numbers, but the lift in the, the, the 
test group over the control group for the brand campaign where we were going on job seeker account creates saw a 41% lift from the control. Okay. Okay. That's huge. A minute ago, you mentioned the article in Adweek about your experiments. And I noticed that one of the things that some of your colleagues there talked about was, you know, they ran these experiments. Some of the things worked really well, but in, in some cases they found some challenges of getting clean rooms set up and operating. Can you drill down a little bit on that? Because I, I know a lot of people who are listening to the podcast have, you know, probably thinking about or starting to use clean rooms for the same reason that you are. What are the challenges and how did you overcome them? Yeah, it's a good question. I saw this. I went and talked to the team about it too. So yeah, I can make good, sure that good. I had a good sense for it. They said, you know, you look at it and we had a great outcome at the end of it, right? Oh, good. good. 40% lift or on one of the tests, 30% lift on the other tests. So we were really pleased with the results. They said, what you don't see in the article is all the challenges. And they right, listed right. several. <laughs> they listed many. I've got four here, technical, statistical, analytical, and organizational. Well, there are a lot, there are several challenges to work through because this is, this is new technology and it requires a lot of data sharing in a privacy secure way. And we want to make sure that things are accurate and right. And so it just takes a lot of work. I think there were data science teams involved from Hulu, Disney, and our own team on the technical side connecting our data through Snowflake. Clean room took a substantial, but not too hard work or overwhelming amount of work, but it did take some engineering work on our side and we just had to coordinate on their roadmaps and when that would happen. And statistically, yeah, like I was mentioning before, you have to make sure that we, we did some pre-analysis to understand the user and the size of the user base and would we get enough of a signal from the test to, to have a, a confidence in the lift. So there's a lot of pre-test analysis. And then analytically, each team has their own language, culture around data usage, what they call things, how they name it, field names, et cetera. So there's just some things to work through there. And then lastly, which is called out organizationally, is working with several stakeholders, both teams or all teams involved have to work through data usage, privacy, legal. And so it just takes some time to get set up. We're using this clean room and a, and we have since that the time of that article put a couple others in place so it gets a little bit easier every time we've done uh, four or five of these in the last six months and we'll probably add two more clean rooms through Q q1 and so you know i think there's learnings and we're getting better and better at it but yeah there, there there's many i wouldn't i don't know if they're challenges but just uh, things to work through as you're integrating yeah yeah hey so you're piloting this with hulu slash Disney. Are you going to do this with a lot of other major employers and major media companies? Yeah, that is the hope. There was so much success or the campaigns were seen as so successful. It seems like this is the wave of the future in a cookie-less yeah. environment. Mm -hmm. This can be applied to many channels. It's connected TV right now, but all channels will ultimately be connected and be able to target this way. So we are going to invest more and more, more clean rooms coming up. We don't really share out which media partners we're working with at this stage. Sure. sure. But yes, we are going to invest more in clean room technology. Now we've talked a little bit about, you know, technology and business and the fact that you live with one foot in each world. You know, typically during the podcast, we, we have people on who, are, who we even consider tech visionaries. 
you are kind of a bit of a visionary on how data can be used for marketing. So let's just look out one year or more. Where do you see kind of data analytics really intersecting and really powering uh, for business marketers? Yeah. yeah. I'll just say it's an exciting time to be in tech and yeah. it's an incredible time to be a marketer. Even if you go to the partners that we advertise on through Google, through Meta, through some of the, the other ad agencies that, that we partner with, the way that AI and machine learning is changing everything that we do is pretty incredible. And mostly, I think where you'll see it in, in the next year is leveraging first-party data to target folks across these networks that you want to find and engage, hopefully at an at a efficient or better cost than you would have if you didn't have targeting in place. And the second area that I really see us focused on is creative iteration. Like you can use a lot of machine learning and AI to take assets and mix them up in interesting ways to get your creative team started on ideation of what an ad in any format can do. So, so some of the partners have really interesting tools to do cut downs of video, pull out assets, put layovers on top, change the background, add in you know, more, more objects or something that you want in, in, the, in the ad itself. So there's a mm -hmm. ton that's coming down the pipeline in the next year on creative iteration. So I really think those are probably the two, two areas is this privacy safe way of targeting folks off platform and then creative iteration for marketing. Yeah, cool. I like that creative iteration idea. For your information, there's a lot more to ogres than people think. Really need to dig deep and get to know the real you. In the real up close and personal. We're coming to the end of the podcast here. And we typically close on a more personal or a lighter note. And you kind of afflicted this earlier in the conversation about, you know, like how you manage to bridge between these two worlds. And, and you talked a bit about math, math driven creativity to drive growth. So explain that a little bit more. I mean, first off, were you kind of a math genius in high school or something like that? Or where, where does this come from? Yeah, I don't know if I was a genius. I always just excelled, excelled in, in, in math and yeah. uh, things that, that make logical sense. Just, just I can typically pick up fairly easily. The, the second part of the story or the other half of the story is my mom comes from a large family outside of Boston. And they were all artists, musicians, writers, poets, play instruments. And I, always, like, I was surrounded by that growing up. So a huge creative family. I tried my hand at a lot of them and that just never took off for me. Right. So I love being creative and in a creative capacity and industry, but things need to make sense for me too. So given the, the two sides of, of the brain or all my experiences, once I landed at eBay into this scale channel where we're, we're doing things at, at massive scale globally, but really the, the, the way to further the insights, the learnings, and ultimately the impact of marketing is to look at the data that that's coming back from the campaigns itself. So when I could when I could work with the creative teams on hey what what should the message be what are we putting out in the market and then understand the impact of that and further that through through math and analytics I, I just I knew I found my home. Yeah, very very cool. Yeah, well this has been a great conversation. I mean I I really enjoyed talking to you. Marketing is kind of a dark art to me. Even though with all the data, it shouldn't be, but still, there, there's still aspects of it that that uh, I struggle with. So, but this has been clarifying, 
And I, I think it's been helpful to a lot of people. And I also thought that you gave some very good kind of guidance for people on the technical side. We're not coding here, but I think, I think the principles and issues and insights that you brought up have been very good. I especially like when you talked about scale channels, looking for scale channels, experimenting, kind of seeing what works, putting more investment in that, and then bridging over into the, into this last idea, the idea of, of AI and creative iteration, just like how data analytics and creativity can really be matched up and how you can really accelerate improvements in creativity and, you know, bringing creativity to bear in, in marketing and advertising. So I thought really fresh. We haven't had a, a podcast like this before. So I'm really grateful that you've been on and, and thanks so much for your time. Yeah, Steve, it's been a joy and a pleasure. I think, like I said, it's an exciting time to be a marketer. Marketing is all about storytelling and people always like a good story. And so I I feel like that is my job, how to tell the story, how to tell the Indeed story. But obviously we have a responsibility back to the business of the impact of the dollars and the stories that we're telling. And so it's an incredible time to be in technology, incredible time to be a marketer. I really enjoyed the conversation too. Thank you for opening up your doors here to me. Enjoyed the time together and happy to chat anytime. How you approach data will define what's possible for your organization. Data engineers, data scientists, application developers, and a host of other data professionals who depend on the Snowflake Data Cloud continue to thrive thanks to a decade of technology breakthroughs. But that journey is only the beginning. Catch up on all the latest announcements from Snowflake Summit, including advancements with generative AI and LLMs, flexible programmability, application development, and much more. Watch now at snowflake.com slash summit slash livestream.